I've been a junkie. I've been a lost cause. I've been a liar and a manipulator, a lover and a fighter, an underachiever and an overcomer. I've been a hustler, a dreamer, a thrill seeker, and a survivor. I've been all those things, but I've always been a writer. I write for the underdogs. I write for the misfits. I write for the addicts and the drunks, the baggage carriers, the outsiders. I write for the bright lights who almost burned out but fought like hell to shine another day. I write for the sons and daughters who grieve for their mothers and fathers, and for the fathers and mothers who had to bury their daughters and sons. I write for the voiceless who battle with the voices in their heads. I write for the heartbroken and the downtrodden, for the faithful and those who have not yet come to believe. I write for humble beginnings. I write for my mother's prayers. I write for my childhood friends who will fist fight for me at the drop of a hat. I write for the pretty woman with the hazel eyes and the long brown hair who loved me when I couldn't love myself. I write for that wide-eyed kid on the last train home, hypnotized by the darkness, afraid to end up where he is going. I write for you, all of you, but most of all, I write for me, because your struggle is mine. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I hope these words find you. Alright, my name is Zachary Frank, and I'm the author of Slingshot Diaries Through Stained Glass Windows, which is now available for pre-order at PassionCollectivePublishing.com. First and foremost, a shout-out to Jack Willard, who produced the audio for that trailer. Awesome job scoring it. And um, just kick things off. Thank God for this moment. Once upon a time, this moment was a distant dream upon the horizon that I was unsure of if I'd ever be able to reach. I'm joined today by my good friend SC Static and yo, yo. Ben Derland of the studio at Old Ridge. Thank you guys both for being here. Um, I used to talk about writing this book a long time ago when I was still all strung out and shot out and... To be here at the studio at Old Ridge, a place that I spent many hours playing music and getting to flex my creativity, it's uh, it's truly a privilege that I am grateful for today. But what's going on, guys? How you feeling? Good, man. Shout out to Jack. Like you said, man, he killed that. Mixed it as well. Didn't just produce the instrumental. Um, yeah, check out our song Balance, too, man. He's super talented. And I was going to say, too, not just uh, get right into it, but that uh, particular poem and is that in this book no no it's that's on, the, on back. the back it's on the right? back yeah that's on the back cover of this book um it reminds me of for those that know me and zach or zoo uh the lion and the wolf project we have the first one the anthem of an underdog um kind of like i write for you and i write for me and it's kind of like it, it it reminded me of that and that's been a consistent that was your idea to do that song and use that beat and go with that concept and this is, seems like a continuation of that and yeah, you manifested it, brought it to life. And yeah, man, if people are going to read this that pre-ordered it. You're definitely going to um, get your money's worth and then some. This is definitely a unique original project. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The one thing about me is like, even when I was completely shot out and uh, completely gripped up in the midst of my active addiction, um, 
I always had clear visions of what I wanted to do. It was just like on my timing, nothing worked out. I had I had to realize that I had to uh, make a lot of changes and trust God and have faith in the process and make some sacrifices in order to grow. But um, I I always I always dreamt of and had the goal of becoming an author and being able to do something like this completely independent and execute the idea from A to Z, from the idea to the conception to the execution and then being an entrepreneur and being able to distribute it on my own. Slingshot Diaries through stained glass windows is completely DIY indie. I have a personal relationship with every single person who's had a hand in this book and it's being printed and bound in the United States, in Jersey to be exact, by my mother who works in corporate printing. So... um to bring the idea from fruition to to physicality has been extra special, but um, it's been a long road. Yeah, it's an extensive process, and I watched, I caught glimpses of almost every step along the way, including the way way pre backstory. And I was curious, um, you talk about being a writer from a young age, before you maybe even wrote any of these poems. I would assume, correct? So when was the first time you thought to yourself, I want to be a writer one day? Um, so I always wrote, I always kept a notebook. I always kept like, a, not like consistently every day, but like in terms of journaling, but I remember journaling from a young age and I remember writing poetry from a young age in elementary school. Um, so on and so forth. The thing is like when I started smoking pot and drinking at 12 years old and then, you know, got into the harder stuff at, at 15. And then by the time I was like gripped up and had a dependency to opioids at 16, I was just concerned with running around and getting drugs and using drugs and selling drugs to get and use more drugs. But still, I I always wrote, and it wasn't until senior year, I remember in high school when I had Miss DeBella, and instead of taking traditional English, I took creative writing for half the year and pre-college writing for other half of the year. And I remember on the first, one of the first, the first week of creative writing, you know, I was just like chopping it up in the middle of class and we had an assignment. Everybody had to go and, and write a, a piece of creative writing just so she could see where there's different students, where they stood um, in the realm of creative writing to start. And I was talking when I shouldn't have been talking. And she was like, put me on the spot like oh you seem seems like she didn't know me seems like you have a lot to say why don't you want to come up and and read your piece in front of the class not knowing like yeah I do actually Mm -hmm. because it's good and this is what I do and I remember I went up in front of the class like not to sound too egotistical like you know I'm not good at math and science but writing's where I'm comfortable Mm -hmm. and I remember I read this piece and it was about the reservoir and from then on, my senior year of high school, when I was going through a lot of turmoil and whatnot, she kind of took me um, under her wing and and encouraged me a lot. And she was like, you can do this. She's like, the way you write, it's not like a, it's not like a traditional person your age. You have, a, you have like an older, wiser voice. And then she started putting books in my hands more. And I already like was into, you know, Thompson and Kerouac and Bukowski and, and the writers like that. But she was like, you like have that thing, like that it factor. And so that's when I like really decided like, I'm going to do this. That's awesome. Shout out to, to Debella for doing that and uh, putting books in your hands. And speaking to Hunter S. Thompson, that's how you start this book with a quote from him, correct? Yeah. 
And yeah. that kind of quote describes what you were talking about getting into stuff at 12 years old. But all those experiences are what create the content of this book. And now you're on the other side of it. I love how this book captures the before, during, and after. And it leaves you with like a, a hopeful ending. And it's not like a bullshit, like happy ending kind of shit. And you didn't like, nothing's definitive. Like you're still in the, in the process of working on yourself. But it's so great to see a lot of positivity in this book amongst the darkness. And I think it's very uh, honest. And that's what I look for in art is honesty and authenticity. And that is, that's what this shit is right here. Thank you. Yeah, that was like the biggest thing during the editing process of it. I um, I wanted to make sure I went into it like, listen, I'm not the most educated man out there. I'm not the smartest. I don't have like a bunch of degrees on my wall, but I got a lot of heart and I wanted to go through the writing and make sure, am I trying to sound like, am I trying to flex my vocabulary? Am I trying to use extensive verbiage to make myself come off as an intellectual? Or am I just being wholly myself? Is this raw, authentic, and honest, and soulful? Am I being a coward in in any way, shape, or form throughout this? Am I being lazy in editing this? Can this piece be better? Because I remember when I graduated high school in 2010, my grandmother gave me this little thing that I've always had on my desk, and it said, write without fear, edit without mercy. So for a long time, I wasn't even able to write without fear. I wasn't able to get vulnerable. Like, And that's what a lot of people don't understand when they're like, oh, you're so vulnerable with your story today. Once upon a time when I was gripped up and living in complete and total delusion and people would press me like, dude, you're doing really bad. But I'd be like, I'm clean. I'm not an addict. I I was not even able to admit that because I had fear. That Mm -hmm. stems from fear. I was afraid and insecure of what other people would think of me. I was afraid and insecure about my current situation in life. So going through the editing process of this, those were like the two things. And, you know, I could always do better, but I I am, I feel confident that I was able to write without fear and be open and vulnerable and edit and be truthful. And when it comes to Hunter, man, um, I remember the first time my pops gave me a lot of books. My father gave me a lot of books when he was, uh, when I was younger. But I remember the first time I read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, I was down at the Jersey Shore. My mother brought me and my brother and uh, a few of his friends. And I don't know which shore point we were at, whether it was Wildwood or Ocean City. You know, I've been up and down the shore. But I remember I, I brought a few books and I brought Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the Vegas book, as Hunter would often refer to it. And I, and I stayed inside all day and I read the whole thing. And one day I couldn't put it down. And it had me laughing, dude. It had me so infatuated. And there's the, the, the one famed part of that book where he talks about the 60s and the 70s and, and the movement of in America, how things were changing. And there was this, this hopeful currency flowing outward. And the point where he saw the wave roll back. You know, when MLK got assassinated and JFK got assassinated and RFK got assassinated, where there was this wave coming of change and this point where he saw it roll back. And it's one of that piece of that book is one of the most beautiful pieces of writing that 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 I've come across. And it moves me every single time. But um, Hunter is a big a big inspiration for me because a lot of people just think of him as that crazy drug addled writer 
But that guy was on a different level politically and socially, and and you dive into some of his other writing, and then you even go back to the older stuff, like The Rum Diary and his first book, Hell's Angels, where he became embedded with the Hell's Angels and wrote from inside and created that whole format of gonzo journalism because for so long, journalism was like the Tom Wolfe style, like electric acid Kool-Aid test, where you're like a fly on the wall. As opposed to being actually in it. In it, yeah. you know, and... Um, yeah, that's crazy. And I was blessed enough like 10 years ago or so where I was able to, I reached out to his widow, Anita Thompson, and because Hunter's home base was right outside of Aspen, Colorado, Woody Creek, and he had this, this, this big, he has this big piece of property, his widow still owns it, and I reached out to her on Facebook Messenger, like, I'm going to be in Colorado, I'm going to Red Rocks to see the Disco Biscuits with the Grateful Dead drummers, and, and your late husband has inspired me so much, I really just want to come out and like touch the soil at Woody Creek. And there was a process for me to do it because a lot of weirdos and nutbags just show up there. And I had to go with a family friend and Coldenado came with me. And we went out there and I got to walk around his property outside of Woody Creek with, and there's still like, he had, he's a nut, he was a nut. He had peacocks running around. There's still peacocks out there. And he had this labyrinth and there's these mountains in the distance. And he was a gun nut. So there were still like appliances, like refrigerators and whatnot out in the lawn with 12 gauge blasts in it still. <laughs> but I was able to go out there and touch the soil like, wow, like this was his home base, you know? That's crazy. So that was very, that was a, a special memory for me, for sure. That's awesome. Wow. That was done, what, a couple, like recently probably, right? What, when I went out there? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was like a decade ago at this oh, point. Oh, shit. In Colorado. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a special moment for me. But yeah, Hunter, Bukowski, Kerouac, those guys, and then you know Fitzgerald, obviously, and Hemingway. Like all these guys were just masters, you know. But a lot of my inspiration also, like, it's not just writers, you know. No, yeah, you you got your hands in a lot of different. It's it's film, music, mm. hip hop. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Nas, Nipsey Hussle, Jada Kiss, Styles P, and hip-hop, like... New York I, City culture. New York City culture, you know, the the film, like, of the 70s, you know, like the Sidney Lumets, the Scorseses, the French Connection, No Day Afternoon, Mean Streets, like, all that stuff. Actors, Gandolfini, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, guys that... I believed them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a lot of people are artists, you know, and they dress the part and they wear the funny little hat with the feather and uh, and the scarves and they're artists. And they, Put on a good performance. But it, I'm talking like yeah. inside. The attention to detail couldn't be, right. you can't make that up like that. I'm not talking about how you dress yourself. When Gandolfini's in a scene, I believe him. That man has pain inside of him and his soul. A Philip Seymour Hoffman, one of his last roles before he overdosed and died, a crazy dark movie before the devil knows you're dead with Ethan Hawke as well. Dude, you you watch you watch actors like that really in the part, like it's something different. You know? The master it. Exactly. And but like their souls, like there's a depth to it. And then of course like the jazz musicians, you know, the Miles Davis, John Coltrane, the Chet Bakers, like the Wayne Shorters. 
I, I grabbed from everywhere. And then even from outside or from like a, like an FDNY firehouse, you know, like the tradition and the brotherhood of the, of the fire department of New York that goes back all the way with like all these Irish immigrants are coming over to this country from the potato famine and just hard working, tough, um, all these Irish Catholic guys and, and the tradition where it's like great grandfather to grandfather to father to brothers to cousins and they're all in that. And they're just doing these blue collar, these, these service jobs in New York City. Like that shit touches me. I think, dude, yeah. I, I honestly think it's all in, in the book too. Like I'm flipping through. I haven't had a chance to read through it yet. I'm really excited to get my hands on it. But, you know, I'm looking at this one page. It has two poems on it. One of them is titled Violin. The other one's titled Move or Drown. And it's like both of those influences, like the, the uh, illustration on the bottom of violin is so cinematic. Like I really see that cinematic influence. And then reading through Move or Drown, like it's so rhythmic. And it's all of those different art forms that you channel clearly come through. And of course, like the culture of New York, I think is a huge undercurrent in, in your writing, which is, I mean, listen, it's the, it's the best city in the world. So um, there's no, there's no challenge in that. So, I mean, that's, I'm really excited to get my hands on the rest of this too, because I think it has a little something for everybody and the way you, and the way you organize it as well. Like people can decide where, like based on where their headspace is at, like where they want to dip in in the book, if you want to talk about that a little bit. 100%. First, I'd like to just give a major shout out to uh, Georgie Michaelessi, who illustrated the book. Um, Georgie and I have been friends for a while. She's like a sister to me. We've both, you know, been on our own journeys of ups and downs. And uh, the one thing that's always ran true is like the loyalty between us. Like uh, when she's been down, I've held her down. When I've been down, she's held me down. And, you know, I, I pitched her this vision years ago, years ago, before this title even came to fruition, before the concept did. And there was moments where like, I, I wasn't sure if it was going to come to fruition, you know, but we stuck with it. And like, her illustrations, like those stylings, those raw black ink, like it, it, it meshes with the writing. Oh man, it's very New York too. Like that's a big, like whenever I shoot in New York, I always shoot black and white. Like there's something about it where like you're just looking for the contrast. And the illustrations are amazing. Georgie is, is awesome. I'm looking at the one of the grenade right now. It's sick. Like it's, 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 it's so artistic, but also it's, it's not pretentious. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's, yes. It's, it's very unpretentious. And, uh, and there's not a picture on every poem. It's kind of right, yeah. spaced out in a really kind of, is a great way to keep the momentum and rhythm of the, the project between each piece. 100%. And yeah, it's not pretentious. It's raw. It has a little of that like Shel Silverstein-ish and then just like that raw like of like the Ralph Steadman Gonzo stuff. It's not as explosive and impulsive as that, but just when it like the raw authenticity of it, like that's what we were looking for. And uh she knocked it out of the park, man, and that's the thing like with this book like I wanted it to be an art piece I didn't just want to print another Amazon paperback that's like I wanted it to be a piece of art that is creative and unique and and just one of one and um I hope that other people feel the same and just to to touch on what you said about New York and and you know New York City um dude you know, I was born in New York City, raised in the Hudson Valley, and I feel like my writing does capture the juxtaposition of, of that relationship. Because if people aren't local to New York or have experience in the Hudson Valley, like what you're able to get, like to fill the human spirit, 
of being able to be in the Hudson Valley, whether it's in Nyack or Warwick, and then to shoot into the city and then to just go even on the Westchester side, Terrytown, all those river towns, like the, the soulfulness of them. And then you're in, you know, the greatest city in the world. Yeah, in an hour, like on a train. You it's know? it's the best. It's magical. It it really is. Within the same day, you could do both. I love yeah, that. yeah, and and yeah, New York, like like those city streets, have seen the wet, the best and worst of me. Like I'll just touch on this this story, like that I haven't ever publicly shared. Um, towards my bottom, before I checked myself in the rehab this last time and got clean, um, it was one morning, and it was Martin Luther King Day, a few. Uh, three years ago, I think. And I was coming back from this girl's house who I was dating at the time on Long Island. And it was a Monday morning and she had just gotten up for work and she had a, an amazing career, made really good money, was successful, was on, on route to just making senior positions and running team. Like She was crushing it. And I just remember... Because towards the end, I used over feelings because of my inability to cope with life on life's terms. And I remember waking up that morning, she was getting ready for work, and I had to drive back to the Hudson Valley from Long Island, and I was just feeling really crummy about myself. And um, I hadn't, like, used, like, heroin or anything for, for a little bit. And I remember I um, I just made the decision in my head. I was like, I'm going to get high. And I drove to the South Bronx. I had no connects at that time. I would delete all my numbers. It was like just a hamster wheel of insanity where like I would not use for a while and then I would go on a bad bender and I'd get my ass thoroughly beaten and then I'd just two sets forward, three sets back constantly. And um, I drove to the South Bronx uh, around Lincoln Hospital to be exact, Mott Haven, and I saw some dude nodding out on the street. It was about 8, 8.30 in the morning, and I went up to him, and I said, you know, the whole thing, like, bring me to the guy, I'll break you off, I'll, I'll buy you one. And I got two bags, and um, I had no tolerance, and I was walking down the street. Mothers are are, are walking their kids to school. It's 8.30 in the morning, and I, uh, I ripped one of the bags open, uh, the bags of dope, and I stuck a bill in it, and I snorted the whole bag, and I was like, oh, shit. And I just remember like the like browning out, blacking out, and boom, flat. I, sh I shouldn't have clapped, but boom, flat line on the sidewalk. And I wake up in Lincoln Hospital. I got tubes in me and a catheter in me. And I was like, oh shit, like I almost just died. Because in all my years of using, like that wasn't my story. You go and you hear people and they're like, oh, I've overdosed 20 times. That wasn't my story. I, I always just like, oh, I know how to use drugs. I know how to mix it. Just again, that delusion, you know? And so I get out of the hospital. A bunch of my family thinks I'm dead because I always have my phone on me. And I'm like shook a little bit. And I get behind the wheel of my mother's car. And I have a second bag. And I snort the second bag. And I fall out behind the wheel. And I crash into a utility pole on 148th Street. Holy get, shit, man. Get brought to a different hospital in the Bronx. So this all happened back to back to back in like an eight-hour period, two different overdoses, one totaled car. And four days later, I'm at my mom's house, and she's like, oh, I have a pain, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, let me bring you to the hospital. I bring her to the hospital, and my mom has a heart attack. Four days later, 
after all this shit happened. So then I'm outside the hospital doing the foxhole prayers that addicts always do. They say, God, please get me out of this situation. I'll never use drugs again. God, please don't let anything happen to my mother. Please, I'll never use again. And by the grace of God, by the grace of God, she recovered. But I remember that hopelessness being outside of St. Anthony's in Warwick and the, and it was COVID, so I wasn't allowed to go inside. And the doctor comes out there, we got to transfer her to Good Sam and suffering. And it's just like, the saying how parents say to their kids, like, you got to get it together. You're going to give me a heart attack. I literally, the stress just compounding over years and finally coming to a head. That's what happened. And then, you know, 90 days later, I was right back to the same shit. But that's the reality of my story. And that's like, those are the situations, one of many that I had to go through to bring this book into the world. And and those situations are why I try my hardest to express positivity and gratitude today. And I know some people, they say to me, they're like, or I hear them say, people tell me, oh, Zoo, you're so corny, like with the positivity. Or, or I've had someone say, oh, Zach, why do you always talk about God nowadays? Because that's where my life was. So... For some people, maybe they, they can't get their head there and they, so they haven't experienced that of why my faith is so important today because I almost died multiple times and now I have over two years clean with zero pharmaceuticals and I'm an author. So there's a lot of gratitude today, you know, but that's just to say like why my book is so New York centric because those streets have seen the best and the worst of me, literally. Yeah, it's and that ties into your influences too, because like guys like Kerouac and Burroughs, and like they were doped up in the subway, pickpocketing people so they could make rent, you know, joining the the fucking military just so they could get a, a check just to keep living and keep writing, like that lifestyle that you know. And obviously, it's amazing that you have the faith and that you're you're like moving forward and showing what you can do. That it's not a, you know the, there isn't necessarily the you know you can avoid the the, the deepest bottom, right? Where like you got you got close, you got real close, but like you can't avoid it, you know. And you poured yourself into art to do it, which I think is, uh, or not, you know, entirely, but to help uh, with that process. And that's that's huge. That that shines through the piece, absolutely. And a, a lot of times, people have to, like you said, it could have been a worse bottom, and you could still always reach a worse bottom. But the a point is like that: if you stand by what you you say you're going to do, that will never happen again. And you'll never have to feel that way for something that you feel guilted like and responsible for. Um, as long as you take accountability like that, you're living proof that God does exist and there's a connection to something greater. And it's not telling people what to believe or this and that. It's just speaking your truth. And I see that as um, a positive thing for anybody to relate to. And hopefully you don't have to really reach a bottom in order to start, you know, putting your faith into something greater than yourself. Exactly. And and with the faith thing, like, you know, my grandfather was a pastor and uh, he, he retired as the head of juvenile probation in Rockland County. And his entire life was a life of service, you know? And so I got to grow up and see firsthand, like a Christian man who walks the walk, you know, because a lot of people... They'll say they're, you know, you got the Joel Osteen, Osteens out there, whatever, that they're Christian. And it's, it is what it is. It's not that. It's a little different. And, um, and I was, I was raised to, I respect, that's another beautiful thing about this country is the freedom of religion. 
I was raised to respect you if you're a Muslim, Muslim, if you're a Jew, if you're a Buddhist, you know. Yeah. And I'm a Christian. I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not put. I'm not pushing it on anybody. But I would be a coward if I wasn't able to say that, you know. Yeah. And live like that's what I had. That's my higher power. And whenever you know, in recovery, in the community of recovery, that's a big thing. Is just finding a power greater than yourself. And they don't tell you what it has to be or who it has to be. Right. They just say, do some soul searching internally and find something that's bigger than you. Because obviously your way is not working. Yeah. And that could be applied to non-addicts. You know what I mean? Like you could be so caught up in a sinful lifestyle without abusing drugs. And like everybody needs to check themselves and we get brought to these places that and situations and circumstances that force you to like step into like who you're supposed to be because we all drift and it's the one thing that you're doing is like staying in line and not wa- wavering back and forth like you're, you're committed and you're stuck with it but like like you said it's, it's a day-to-day thing and it's not easy and and um i can relate to it a lot even though i didn't go through the, the same struggles as you and i know everyone else can too but uh these sections of the book i was going to talk about because you broke it down into certain sections and it relates to what we're talking about pain it starts with then goes through love and then the third section breaks between war and freedom and then the last section is clarity um i just wanted to talk about how you c- came to the conclusion to break it down to those sections and maybe how many poems did you start with how many ended up making the final cut? And what was that process like? Yeah, so this was originally an entirely different book, an entirely different table of contents, an entirely different title. Um, then after I got clean, I was like, you know what? I'll put that book on the side for a little bit, a lot of that writing, and I'm going to do something like this. And I'm going to do slingshot diaries through stained glass windows. And I wanted to create a book with just the way that our culture is today, the way that technology has such a grip on people and the social media and whatnot, I wanted to create a book that can kind of capture some of those, like, just the similarities of how people like to scroll and they they get hit with, like, a little quote, inspirational quote or a little poem, and, and they get a little hit out of it, and they're like, oh, wow, that touched me, and then they go throughout their day. So I wanted to create this book in a way that it can be accessible as a coffee table book. Like you pick it up and you can just open it anywhere and then read a piece. But like you mentioned, if you read it from front to back, you see a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. You see the author going from pain to love, to war, to freedom, to clarity. I wanted this book to encapsulate me, the good, the bad, the ugly. I wanted it to encapsulate my story of who I was, who I am, and who I hope to be. And that's why I set it up like that, man. Because although, you know, the first chapter title is, for example, The Paradox of Painkillers, pain is bold. Because that specific title is for my story. But the overarching theme of pain, that's the human condition. Every single human being experiences pain at one point or another. Nobody gets off scot-free in this life. 
And yes, there's different degrees and it it hits different magnitudes for different people. And some people experience it early on in their childhood and some people experience it at the end of their life. Some people experience it when they're poor. Some people experience it when they're rich. Some people experience it and they're black and they're brown and they're white and they're yellow and they're blue and they speak this language. It does not matter. Pain is the great connector of the human condition. So like Ben mentioned before, I believe that there's something in this book for everybody. Some people might have the misconception that it's like just for addicts. Right. That's why I was saying that because um, I can, I mean, I know you personally too, so maybe I'm biased, but like I laughed as much as I like almost teared up throughout the book. Like there's hu- dark humor, you know, stranger to dark humor. And, and and the fact that you broke down each title within a sentence, I thought it was super clever. And then it's bolded pain, but the paradox of painkillers is the title. And then love letters on the ferry to Fire Island. Love is like, so you're just super clever as a writer. I really appreciate it. Um, and I haven't seen, I'm not an avid book reader like that, but I haven't seen something like this that I can compare it to really. Um, maybe there is stuff, but like, I love the originality. Yeah, why don't you hold it up and give people a little, a little preview? We'll zoom in. It's just like the, the tiniest little. There it is. There That's it is. the cover. And then this is the table of contents. You got starts with love, pain, war, freedom, and clarity. Pain, all pain down. first. Pain, love, war, freedom, clarity. My bad. That's, like, <laughs> that's all right. You know, quick well, edit. When you get your copy, you you know you can see it. <laughs> you can see it up close. Oh, that's right. Proper order. You're gonna you're gonna have to go ahead and do that. And the and the right, don't give him too George, much. Don't give him too much. Don't give George, him too George, him too you much. did her thing though. Like you, you can't. Know, it's it's not too zoomed. It's just a little just a little sneak peek. Yeah, you know? just give him a little taste. Give a little yeah. taste. You know, that's a, a little the, the New York way. And I know you did multiple revisions of this. I was just curious. Was there how many revisions? A lot. Like I don't know. A lot. It got crazy, man. And and it gets to the point. I never have edited anything like this before. And, you know, my brother's an artist. He's a painter. He works with canvas and whatnot. And I watched him so many times over the years where he takes a painting and he keeps going back to it and he keeps changing it instead of letting it go. And then by the end of it, he ruined the painting. Oh, yeah. So that's the thing with editing, especially when it's like, this is not technical writing. This is not essays for academia. Right. This is creative writing. This is poetry. It's not. It's not all poetry either. People think, "Oh, is it all poetry?" No, there's other pieces in there's there. There's some that longer are, pieces yeah. that are not poetry. Uh, I don't know what it is. That's why I just called it a collection, to be honest. And I feel like there's glimpses in here to what your future writing is exactly. going to be like, as far as like not just short poems. And there's some longer pieces that I don't know if you, your first idea was. I don't want to say the title of it. The but yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, whatever. There's other, there's other stuff in the pipeline, God yeah. willing. But with the editing stuff, I had to be careful because you can go in there, like what I just had to keep in my brain when I was editing this and I would get a little crazy and you start looking at it and you're looking at it for so long over and over. It's like you're looking at Mandarin after a while. It's like not even... Yeah. And so going in with a scalpel and tightening it up and, 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 and you know... Trying to to edit like like Hemingway's notorious for like cutting all the fat out of his writing. You know, I'm not saying I'm Hemingway by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying as a reference for editing. But going into this, I had to be careful with not taking the scalpel so much in to cut the soul out of the book. Yeah, and making it too sterile. I wanted it to be raw and not perfect and imperfect. Yeah. So. 
like some of your favorite music it's exactly like, well that's what i was gonna say is like that ties right into what you like to do when you're playing music is like straight improvisation where there is no polishing it's like you get what you get and there's such there's such a beauty in that because it's it's more real to like how people experience the world it's it's funny when some art gets so because i experienced this in photography too like the way people are just editing things to death and adding things that weren't there like the art of just straight black and white street photography in new york was that you got what you got I right. love that. And that was it. And that there's, there's a, like, obviously this book is polished, but like, there's an element of that as well. Cause there's a bravery to that to being like, no, this is the thought. Like this was the, this was the emotion. And, and now it's here. Now it's in print. So exactly. there you go, do what you want with it. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sell to you. I'm just trying to show you a piece of, of my life and my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what my grandmother said to me. Cause I would be like, Oh, I think I could change it. She's like, you just need to let this go, you know, let it go. There will be more, God willing, you know, like this is just the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I have clear visions as to where I'm going and what I am doing next. And uh, for the first time in my life, I'll keep my mouth shut about those visions because I've, <laughs> I've learned the hard way of talking too much. It's not ab- all in your control. Ab- about your hopes and dreams, though. There's a lot of people out there that are dream killers. There's a lot of negative people out there. And there's just people out there that don't, they're not bad people, but they don't have those visions. And so when you're all impassioned and you're talking about this stuff, they're subconsciously putting out negative energy to you in their head being like, what is this guy? Are you nuts? You can't do that. You Just because they don't, you know what I mean? So like J. Cole, like the rapper says, or even like Hove has said it, like keep it to yourself or your small team of people. Not Don't put it in the public forum. And then when it's time and then the work's done, then you move forward. But um, I just I have a gift for SC Static here. You know, Sam has always been, uh, he, he's seen, he's seen uh, me at my worst. Um, I think I remember one time I got, uh, one time I was on my way back from Patterson after copping and I, and I got arrested because I was high out of my mind at a Wendy's on Route 17. And a, a, a lady, you know, a good old-fashioned uh, Bergen County woman, called the police because I was acting like a moron. And I got my chicken nuggets and I got my little burger, you know, probably got a little small frosty because, you know, I love chocolate. It's one of my biggest Definitely, vices. Definitely, yeah. One of my biggest vices, to sure, be honest. Sure and, I, and I was with a, uh, another individual whom I will not name because I believe in protecting the innocent without their consent. But with that being said, that person is killing it. Oh, and sh- doing a great... On a whole nother level, bro. Living Both- proof that, like you... And you both were in that spot, and I'll be honest, like I get really happy that to see a lot of that going on. Like yeah, people mad our love. age, some people our age that got through are really thriving right now. That and it's like I was like, wow, last time I saw them, I, I was mad, so mad love to that person. Yo. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. mad, mad love. Like I just talked to that person not too long ago, and uh, yeah. With that being said, so I was I was walking out of Wendy's and that the cops were next to my car and they had that person and I got contraband on me. That person has a lot of contraband on them and you know I'm trying to buy time and I'm high and they're asking me questions and I just keep shoving chicken nuggets in my mouth and I'm chewing like a cow and, and the, the cops are like blah 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 empty your pockets I'm like no the chicken nuggets blah blah blah. And uh, in the police report, when I sat down with my lawyer after, like, the cops wrote, the suspect would not stop shoving chicken nuggets into his mouth when the police officers reportedly asked him to stop and to answer the questions. (laughs) 
And you're like stalling. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stall with the chicken nuggies. And I got my <laughs> frosty. I'm like, oh, you want one, officer? Oh, my God. And uh, they arrested me and put me in handcuffs. It didn't work out too well. And then they arrested that person, and they found a lot more things, and I got charged with felonies, and by the grace of God, I was able to go to court and, and work out all that stuff now, and I have a clean record, thank God. But Sam picked me up um, after I got arrested that time, and I'm very appreciative of that, because uh, it's easy, as a man in this world, it it's, does not require much effort or much heart to be a good friend to people when things are going really well, it is very easy to be a friend to somebody when they're on top of the world and they're making money. And that's easy. That's not a, a gauge of friendship. Show me a man who is a good friend to somebody when they're at the bottom and they have nothing to offer to anybody that's the gauge of friendship. And I, I said something along those same, along the same thing at Eddie Larkin at, at his um, rehearsal dinner. I gave a toast because I was, you know, I was one of his groomsmen. And I said, I made a toast. And I just said the same thing, like, because Eddie was always such a great friend to me. And Eddie's father came up to me after. And it's one of the, the highlights of my life. Is, is, is moments like this. He came up to me after, he goes, Zach, he was emotional. And he goes, Zach, thank you so much for saying that. You know, as a father, you just try to raise your kids in this world. It's a cruel world and it's a cold world. And as a father, you just try to raise your kids to be empathetic and to have heart and to be good people and to be loyal and to be kind. And now after hearing you speak, I know my, that my job is done. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So with that being said, I got a little, um, this is an exclusive garment. These are not out for sale um, publicly. But if you want to hold it up for the camera and maybe put it on, this is one of the new Passion Collective publishing oh, yeah. hoodies. I wore this one out, man. I've been over wearing this. Oh, he's got, got a got Passion Collective hoodie on it too. And it has a page from the oh, book. Oh, that's ill. That's, the... that's what you were mentioning before, Ben, right? That picture? The yeah, violin? Yep, yep, that's yeah, sick. This, this arguably... I can't pick a favorite picture, but this might be one of them. Oh, this, it's, it's up there for this sure. This is one that Zach showed me right in the, one of the first drawings he showed me, like to show like an example of what it's going to come out as. And oh man, shout out to Georgie, shout out to Zoo for killing it with the merch game. I got to be honest, bro. Like that looks sick. You definitely I, have a, a a thing for that. I mean, uh, God gave me a hustler spirit. Yeah, but like it's like you know I'm colorblind. Like I'm not in. I, I don't really have a good taste in fashion so i'm gonna be rocking whatever i can get from you because it's comfortable it's fly it's quality it's always it's very quality, quality. It's yeah, yeah. listen i know i'm not on camera but i'm wearing my passion collective studio at old ridge t-shirt oh there it is bro it's all we're all wearing something passion Collective. And, oh man so. the like the way it like clings to the side like whatever this side shit is the mesh like it this is some quality stuff man thank you i'm, I'm happy to have this and i'm pretty jealous honestly no i, I, I got i got i got one coming for you all right all right all right and just to take it back to what you said man i can say the uh the same about you about being a good friend uh when i i wasn't at doing my best either and uh i can't say that uh i wish i could say that about more people you know, I know and i, I can't and i'm not able to but you know what i mean so thank you too man yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. And then with that being said, so a few years ago, our good friend Ryan Caldwell, again, a shout-out to him. Um, he's one of the people, he was the power of example that I needed to change my life. 
and he's wearing a TPC yeah, NY yeah. T-shirt underneath all the way. That's how that's how the team does, you know. Teamwork make the dream work. Now I'll show you my butt. I was showing nah, you my butt. Chill, chill, chill. We don't do that. We don't do that. Yeah, look but, at what uh, you want. No, I'm just kidding. Nah. Yeah, pause, 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 pause. And uh <laughs> and uh so shout, Oh you gonna learn. <laughs> shout out to Ryan Cardwell. He did this break the stigma event um years ago where we did a whole march just about breaking the stigma of addiction and just bringing the reality of the amount of young people that we've lost to opiate overdoses um, over the past two decades and, and even longer, but especially it's on a whole nother level nowadays. So Sam did this thing um, for Break the Stigma back then, and I asked him if he could do it on mic today. So if you just want to get a nice close-up on Sam for this one, because this is this is the real, this is the real, this is the pure. All right, no doubt. Um yeah, shout out to Ryan Caldwell. I just saw him yesterday, actually. I told him I was going to be here to do this. And he was rocking this sweatshirt in the shop, right, actually. So that's funny. Um, but yeah, uh, this poem yeah, is in dedication to the people that have passed away, but also to the people like yourself that are living proof and thriving on the other side. And for people like myself that are s- somewhere in the middle. And everyone else. Uh, it's for anybody, because everyone is a- affected by it. You know what I mean? Whether it's a cousin or a friend or, you know, everyone's connected to somebody that they either lost or, like, is in and out of rehab and struggling with shit. Um, All right, so hopefully I don't mess this up. Addictions when someone becomes complacent with destruction. Addictions are self-inflicted enslavement to a substance. Addiction is a sickness that's been mentally depressing me. Addiction is eventually a chemical dependency. Addiction just befriended me, tempted me, and tested me, pressured me deceptively, allegedly to rescue me. Addiction is the conviction that we can live stupendously. Falsely promoted to us is a blissful serenity. Addiction is the penalty. Addiction is the enemy. Addiction is the thing that turns a friend into a memory. Addiction is the decision to retreat from one's own destiny. Addiction is a condition that's been predisposed genetically. Addiction puts restriction on your mission and your cause. Addiction is when all a children's innocence is lost. Ridden with exhaust to the point you can't relate with them or debate with them as a slave to escapism. Stubborn minds telling lies like it's justified. In denial with their lives, steady stuck in pride. Inside a confined box from the onset. The pain's non-stop, the temptation is constant. Mix the uppers with the downers, the antis with the depressants. The puffers with the powders and this pills with the injections. A daily dose is just a cope every hour. But it ain't safe to take it just because it's over the counter As alcohol is poisoning the minds of us all To the point where if some stop, they could die from withdrawals Some are looking for a smile, some are looking for care Some are living in denial, some are fully aware Cause I was friends with many addicts who inject themselves with harmony But then again, what the heck you expect, I'm from the pharmacy I only say it cause it's as disgraceful as it sounds That's the nickname we were given by a neighbor in towns Yeah, the pharmacy So don't be fooled by the views of this beautiful destination Cause behind the picket fence What's the truth of our reputation? They say that it's under control, but I doubt it. They call it heroin, but there's nothing heroic about it. Another epidemic spread that we choose to suppress. Another teenage death we refuse to accept. Another daughter taken through the clouds up in the skies and died from the same drug she vowed to never try. So now we're forced to think it happened for a reason. How are we supposed to know that'd be the last time we would see him? So who's to blame when the user becomes a liar? And who's to blame, the consumer or the supplier? 
Either way, it's too consistent to conceal it, and these shouldn't be the issues that our children have to deal with. But since we don't want the concern to ever turn public, we never see the cause of grief or ever learn from it. Regrettable, because I feel like it's preventable. At least there's got to be a way to make it less accessible. But we'll never get protection from above for prevention of a drug when it's swept into the rug. It starts with the peer pressure that's affiliated, mixed with self-hate from being publicly humiliated. Isolated, thinking God was never watching. Cried till suicide became a better option. Just trying to find a better place to stay. Running away from pain, scared to face the day. But it seems that it's a disorder of the genes. Like forever yadic cleans, 20 more become a fiend. As we stare up at the screens of our cameras and phones. While teens overdose, destroying our families and homes. We're all in it, yet we still been scared to talk about it While these rehabilitation centers getting awfully crowded It starts by asking what we question the least How did these poppy seeds from overseas get in our streets? We feel depleted because we don't have the answers The hope is we can change it through some vocal awareness Knowing very well that it'll never be enough But I vow to never give up, forever McNutt no way to cope from this defeated sense of hopelessness I send you my condolences Cause I can feel your loneliness But staying silent is a horrible option Cause we're either trying to solve it Or we're part of the problem So let us draw from this dark pit of emotion To maximize the meaning for the ones we miss every moment Until the day justice for every victim is spoken May we fight and come together Till the stigma is broken Oof. Oh man I'm, I'm honestly getting a little emotional over here. I kind of was like revisiting some of the emotions I went through when I was writing it, like yeah, as I was reciting was... it. But ooh, um, well, it's no yeah. surprise you guys are, are close. <laughs> yeah, that, that was on another level. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was on another level, bro. Um, but that's the real. That's what I think. That's what we want to do with art. Like for so long. My prayer has always been, I don't pray for a million dollars. I don't pray for the Range Rover. I, I say, I've always, I say, God, please use me and my creativity to inspire and touch others. It's always been my prayer. That's, that's like a kind of spiritual currency to that too. That's what I pray for. Put me in position to be there, I'll, I'll go through the pain. I'll walk through the fire. Bukowski has a great quote. What matters most is how well you walk through the fire. And I remember when I was embarking on this journey this last time around, I just always had that in my head. What matters most is how well you walk through the fire because I was preparing myself. It's time. I've been walking through the fire, but now it's time to walk through the fire and it's time to make a change. And I just want to be utilized, man. I feel like God's blessed me with a gift and has blessed you undoubtedly with a gift to just touch people on a real human level. And I remember the first time when you did that live at the event, man, like that blew my wig back. And just to hear it again, there's just so much there's knowledge and wisdom and it's heartfelt and it's, it's sharp and it's smart and it's clever and... Uh, yeah, thank you for doing that. No, no doubt. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to memorize it, but like, it's like muscle memory in a way. Like It was coming back to me. And I'll just say I'm glad I was asked to do that. And before I did it live that day, I said like a prayer to myself, let me do justice to this event and what the cause is for this. And that was like, 
I feel like for any artist out there, like if there's one thing I figured out is like how to like keep your intentions pure and do it for the right reasons. Like I feel like I got that down. And like it's it's very rare these days with artists. Like they're doing shit for the wrong reasons, man. And it's not you could tell it's not authentic. And like thank you for allowing me to do what I do. That's what I do. That's what you do. And we're encouraging more people to do that too because there's so many great artists that would be so original and unique because you can only do it, right? Do what only you can do. And this is only what Zoo can do. It's the same with this sweatshirt, man. Like, I'm rocking this on the street. You're not going to see nothing like that on the back of a sweatshirt. And hopefully, you know, you listen to my music, you ain't going to hear nothing like that either. Yeah. And yesterday was the seven-year anniversary of Far From Free. And Zoo had a big hand in that project. He's on there three times. And the timing of stuff is funny. Um, so, yeah, this is like a far, this is a continuation of the Passion Collective brand. Yeah, and the, and the community. If I can do my shameless plug now, it's like that's exactly what you just said, Sam, is exactly the mission of this studio, which is get in here, express yourself, represent from the community. We're not a big fancy place. Like we're not trying to, we're trying to, no, we're not trying to make hit records. We're trying to let like kids and, and people have something to say, have a platform to say it. And, you know, you've got a series from the studio that I love watching. I still revisit that to this day. Um, <laughs> And it's about that community, about that Hudson Valley community. Like, you know, to bring it back, what we were talking about before. Um, so hit us up, Studio at Old Ridge, if you, if you want to come make some art. That's uh, that's what we're doing here. We could do this at no other place, honestly. No, no, it had to be here. That's, yeah. when, I, that's when I hit Ben up, and I was like, yeah, it has to be done. Like, it just it has to be done because... Yeah, shout out to Ben and the studio at Old Ridge, man. This is the place to be when you're trying to keep it 100% authentic. Well, uh, listen, like full full circle, like this this studio wouldn't be what it was if it wasn't for Zach pushing me during the pandemic to to find a way to right. let people continue to make art. And that's that's grown so like, you know, as much as I'm as a, as one person able to to help it grow, but I'm very happy with it cuz it's like people come here, they're happy to play, they're happy to to contribute and uh and just, you know, and the wheel keeps turning and it's great. And it's a very full circle moment for you to come back here this many years later, three years later, basically, with a book ready to to release upon the world. And I think that's uh it's a beautiful thing, man. I'm very happy that, that you guys are here and celebrating and and uh I'm I'm just excited to get my hands on this book. Yeah, man. So like I remember when I first got out of rehab, I came in here and we did a podcast, us three, you know. I was very raw, I just got out and I was all, you know, you know. I was stoned. I, I was just... <laughs> I'll be honest, I was ripped during that one. I felt so bad. He's talking yeah. about sobriety. I'm like, man, I shouldn't have smoked earlier yeah, that nah, day. It, it's all good. But but just uh, like for, my, for myself, like to really be a, a walking testament of what God can do in one's life. And also like, you know, I work a program. I make meetings. I do service. and and I, And I give back. So for anybody out there that's struggling, for anybody out there that has a family member or a friend that's struggling, give yourself a break. You can do this. You can make a change. Find a power greater than yourself and put in the work. It's your life. Because, because it, doesn't, yeah. it, do, it doesn't happen with just one. You need both. I'm not telling you what that power is. Find something that you can hold on to and put in the work. Because guess what? It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of grit. And um, exercise, nutrition, spirituality, community, creative outlets, all that stuff will heal you.
and it will bring you to where you need to be. Just give yourself a shot. I came from the bottom. I was at the bottom. Didn't matter if I had to shoot it, smoke it, drink it, snort it, ingest it. I used and abused until I could no longer, until I ended up on a stretcher or in handcuffs. And it's not just drugs. Sex, money, going out, spending. It's it's anything to fill that void, that God-sized void. Give yourself a shot. You got this. So with that being said, we're going to close this down with, um, I'm going to do a little reading out of the book. And um, this is special to me because this music is from Space Bacon, my close friends. So if you want to put that up a little bit, we'll get this going. I will look back on this season as an epoch of my life. Although the success I've always envisioned may not come to fruition before year's end, the lessons I've learned and begun to apply will carry me out of this ravine, wounded with a pulse that others can feel. My quest to transmute seething darkness into apparent light has led me through forests of fear and feelings of inadequacy. While I wade through pricker bushes that leave my arms and legs scathed by thorns, I will never stop following the faint sound of running water hissing in the distance. Even when others are unable to hear it, even when they tell me to turn around. While I'd like to believe that there is a natural spring rich with minerals of spiritual wealth waiting to be discovered by each of us, my antecedent emotions have brought about an air of skepticism. Sometimes that faint hissing sound is an eastern diamondback rattlesnake instead. I've never really possessed healthy coping skills regarding loss, stress, anxiety, or heartbreak. I've been patching up the holes in my spirit. Maybe, just maybe, I am learning how to deal with life on life's terms through the guidance of a power greater than myself. Sure, I still fall short and criticize myself more often than I'd like to admit. In these moments, I must remind myself how far I've come since that ambulance ride in the Bronx. Not to break my arm while patting myself on the back, just to stay firmly planted in gratitude during cinematic tornadoes of negativity. Mm. No diggity. Thank you guys for listening or watching wherever. And again, Slingshot Diaries through Stained Glass Windows by Zachary Andrew Frank, illustrated by Georgie Michaelesi, book designed by Kara Seabag, production management by my mother, Sandra Frank. I want to thank SC Static and, of course, Ben Derlin at the studio at Old Ridge. And, uh, you know, God willing, we're just getting started. That's right. God God willing, the best is yet to come. So with that being said, have a blessed rest of your year, and I hope 2024 brings you continued health, happiness, spiritual fulfillment, and most of all, love. Thanks. No doubt. Peace, peace.